Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. We are with Rabbi Zirkind, and today is April 18th. We are going to be talking about colors as it pertains to Torah. And Rabbi Zirkind, thanks for joining us. I'm going to give you the floor. Okay, well, thank you very much. And it's a pleasure to be here. And welcome to everybody that's listening in. So we're going to talk about colors, but colors in relation in Torah, yes, but as well relationship to the leper. As, as in this past week's Torah portion, we were reading about the leper and the colors pertaining to it. Before I go to the colors, I want to address the leper per se. So we find that leprosy comes to a person, but um, first it attacks the house. The house gets it gets a, a discoloration. Then from there, if things don't improve in the person's life, then the next thing that happens is the person's garments gets affected and then after that if the person still does not um, heed to the word of Hashem then what happens is it goes to the person himself now what's interesting I found a very interesting thing that the leper can only be affected the, the house does, does not get gets affected from anybody, whether it's a Jew or, not, or a Ger Toshav. That was really the point I want to get at. The same thing is the clothing, the garments. They too get affected of everybody. But, but, but the person, the person himself, if the person is a Ger Toshav, he does not get leprosy. And that actually addresses, uh, opens up a whole new discussion about why. So the concept of, of uh, leprosy is a spiritual contamination. I'm going to use that term, contamination. It's a spiritual contamination. Although there's a discoloration, which is physical, but the physical only notifies the person that there's something going on. Sort of like when you're driving and you read, your red engine light, the engine light goes on. So it tells you that you gotta address the engine. So too the colors on the, on the discoloration basically on the house and the, and the garments are notifications that we, we have to address something. Now, because <clears throat> the Gertoshev is not has not completed completed the conversion process therefore the concept of it's a spiritual contamination cannot affect them okay whereas the house and the garments those don't need a, a, a conversion of any sort but they automatically because they are part of the person and therefore they become contaminated now, when we talk about the leper, so let's, let's understand the concept of what happens over here. So you see the great mercy that the Almighty has. 
on a person. The first, when a person, what, what, what causes, let's go back for a moment. What causes a person to become a leper? So what causes a person to become a leper typically is for slander, gossip, things that we shouldn't be engaged in, things that create an, an aura of negativity about someone else, even if it's true. And actually, only if it's true does it really matter. Because if it's not true, it's not true. It's, 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 it's nonsense. There's nothing there to it. But it's more when it's when it's true. And what's happening is, what's interesting is when we look in the Torah, um, let's say in Leviticus, I don't remember the chapter, and I'm not, I can't open a book as I'm driving. So I'm just, it's, in the, the Parsha is actually coming up this week's Parsha, actually. We, this week, again, we're going to be reading two two Parshas. One is Achare and one is Kedoshim. And in the, in, the, the, in, the, in the Parsha of Kedoshim, he tells me, which means one should not go and sell a tale about someone else. Which is interesting. The, the term used is Rachel. Rachel um, means a merchant, which is very interesting that he's using this term. Why? Because the concept of gossip is sort of like a merchant. What does a merchant do? <clears throat> he takes his merchandise and he brings it out to the market and he displays it. Everybody to see, come buy my, my merchandise. And that's what somebody that's gossiping does. What does he do? He has some information about his about somebody. So what does he do? He goes to his friends. Hey, look, I got some information about so-and-so. You want to hear it? And then he starts spewing whatever gossip he has. And that's why, that's why he's called a merchant. Because he's displaying his merchandise and trying to sell it, push it off on somebody else. Okay, so this is an actually com- going to talk about in this. So that's coming up in this week's portion. Now, in addition to this, so when a person slanders somebody, then what happens is all the the negativity that a person is spewing affects the person that's spewing it. It affects the person that hears it, and it also affects the person that for whom it's about. And that's why the, the concept of speaking Lashon Hara, which we discussed a, a while back, is so critical how we have to avoid all that, which Lashon Hara is basically speaking badly about people or saying, slandering somebody. These are the same concepts. So when we do all these things, so what happens is, we have create negativity in the world and as a result it affects our house first and then from the house it goes to the clothes the garments and from the garments it goes to the person so if he doesn't correct everything then it then it goes to the, to, to the person himself what's interesting about this um, kind of a punishment is that he has to go he can't declare himself a leper. 
he has to go and show it to the Kohen, the priest. And the priest has to identify him as a leper. And he has to say that he is a leper. And when he when he's declared a leper, he has to go in quarantine, as we all know are familiar with that concept. So we, the person has to go into quarantine for seven days. And after seven days, he has to be checked again by the Kohen, by the priest. And if, it's, if, the, lepros, if the leprosy has gone away, he declares him to her, pure, clean, and he can go back to society. Otherwise, if it's not, if it hasn't cleared up, he has to lock him up for another, he has to go into quarantine for another seven days. And all this time when he's in quarantine, unlike what we are familiar with in this quarantine, in that quarantine, what the Torah is prescribing is one where the person has to contemplate his actions. He has to contemplate, has to contemplate all of his actions and ask forgiveness from Hashem for what he has done. That's what that quarantine is. It's not just sitting in, in your own house and you, you can't go out and walk your dog even. But rather, you can't walk your dog. You, can, you cannot walk your dog, that is, because you have to stay indoors and you have to be secluded from the from the entire community. Okay? Now, why does it need the Kohen, the priest, to declare him a leper? Now, let's look again. We've been discussing while back about what a, a Kohen is, what a, a, a priest is, and what his, his mission is. So we know the Kohen is one that is merciful. And that's why he has the, the mission to atone for people, especially when it comes to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, what does he have to do? He has to go in, in the Holy of Holies. And he has to atone for his own self first, then for his family, and then for the entire community. Because the Kohen is a merciful person, and therefore he can atone for us. Whereas an ordinary person, an ordinary person, they are not merciful typically, and they could, their motivation might be a little off and therefore we don't use an ordinary person to do this but rather the, the, the priest furthermore the priest himself when he goes in and he, and he addresses this leper again because he is merciful he will not be eager to declare somebody a leper because he understands the consequences because you understand the consequences, he's not ready to um, declare somebody a leper. And therefore, if he already declares the person a leper, then the person really needs to um, shape up. And he has to go to quarantine. Okay? That's, that's as far as the, the leper. Now let's go. We were going to address the colors. I was going to address the colors because it's very, very interesting. What are the colors that the Torah describes that a leper has that makes a person a leper? Green, 
and red. Those are the only two colors. Now, isn't that ironic that there's another religion that to them, the green and red colors are very important, very significant. And they have a whole holiday that everything is either green or red or a combination of both. This just, again, is, it points out an important and interesting thing that whatever we find in the Torah as absolutely um, disgusting, that's what you'll find in other religions that they gravitate themselves to. This is important. This is special. And we need to have this in our faith. And all those things that are that are that are not necessarily derogatory it's not it's not important for them either it's nothing and this shows you this goes to show where do we find this mostly by the leper these these color issues now why why is it significant about the leper related to their holiday that they use the green and red because after all, what they're trying to harp on is the, the idea of their superiority over the Jewish religion. Despite the fact that without the Jewish religion, there's nothing else. There's no other religion. Because ultimately, every religion in the, in the world needs to have our Torah to create their environment, whatever whatever environment they want. And that's what's unique about our Torah, that everybody, everybody in the world will acknowledge that the Torah, at least the five books, were written by the Almighty God and given to us as divine inspiration. Whereas all the other religions, whatever holy books they have are debatable whether they were actually written by, with divine intervention or not. And that's uh, and here, you, here you see the, the, the greatness of, of the Torah as well as in many other places. I mean, last week we pointed out about the animals and the, and the fish but here we talk about the leprosy. And you would think it's a kind of a, an arbitrary thing, but you see clearly how the Torah, whether you want to say they force that Hashem, the Almighty God, foresaw what's coming down the pike, and he uh, and he made it repugnant to him, whatever they were going to do with it, or you can say, well, we had it, and we found it repugnant. And therefore, they went and took it and utilized it to the utmost of their, on their agenda. Regardless, however you want to look at it, however you want to look at it, the, the bottom line is that... One second. The bottom line is that what they needed to do was attach themselves to our Torah. And even in the most disgusting ways, 
such as in a, in a, in a concept of a leprosy, which we know that the leprosy is the, is the, is a very harsh punishment. We don't find anywhere else such harsh punishments in the Torah. Yeah, we find a person gets stoned or killed or whatever, but that the person should have to endure pain to this extent, we don't find that. And and as well, I want to address the point of the of the leper, how the person can get to the point that he is slandering somebody. So let's understand what what is a why is a person need to slander somebody? Why is there a need to create this environment about somebody else when a person could live a life, a, a holy life, and not have to say anything derogatory about anybody if they choose if, if they want to really live a, a holy life? But the answer is. The answer is that a person, when they need to be superior, when they feel that they are lacking in something, and the only way they could excel is by putting somebody down, that's the beginning of the downfall of the person himself. Because the person is a, is a, mirror, a mirror image of whatever else he's looking at someone else. When you look at somebody in a derogatory way, our teachings tell us that it's kamayim, the Hebrew words are kamayim haponim haponim. It's like water. When you look in the water, what do you see? You see your face. And that's why if you ever notice, if you ever notice when a horse is drinking from the, from the water, from the river, she's always kicking. She's always kicking. Why is she kicking? Well, the answer is because she sees her competition drinking from that water too. She sees another horse there that's drinking from the water and she's trying to kick that, that horse away. I know it's very strange, but that's the reality. That's what's going on there. That's the, 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 what? Is that a mystical Kabbalah? It's kind of deep. The, the, I never heard of that before. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what's I mean, going on. Well, what's that? Yeah, so sorry, this kind of um, it looks um, it seems to me you explain it that there's a um, you is like you're mirroring yourself in the river. I was like, okay, it's kind of easy, but when you say it that you kick it because you're it's yourself that you're kicking and there's a horse. That was like not following. Okay, so I'm gonna I'll explain it a little differently. So basically, when when you're looking in the in the water, what do you see? You see an image of yourself, right? Okay, so now the horse when the horse is drinking, the horse sees an image of himself or herself, but the horse doesn't think it's himself. The horse thinks it's another horse because she doesn't know what she looks like. So, but she's seeing another horse there, even though it's herself. But in her mind, it's another horse. And that's why she's kicking, like, get away. It's my water, not yours. Now you understand? 
Okay. So so this is what's going on. When a person when a person um, sees a negativity or even a positive thing in somebody else, think about it. When you see something, somebody doing something, whether it's good or bad, the only way you could view it as a positive thing or a negative thing is if that's something that you are familiar with, something that you deal with. So if let's say you have a, uh, a, a, a sibling, let's say, God forbid, that has a, 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 a chronic illness. So you're sensitive to that chronic illness. So when you see, when you want to see somebody else and you want to, um, you see that fault in that other person because you have, you know what it's, what it feels like. If you didn't know what it feels like to be, to have this chronic illness, you wouldn't know it's a problem even. You have no, you have no clue. The same thing is in the positive side. When you see that somebody is doing a lot of charity, let's say, so if your mind, if your mindset is not of that kind where you have to, where charity is an important thing, so you don't, you don't look at it as a positive thing. And unfortunately, that's why you don't find positive news in the newspaper or in the new, on, the, on, the, on the radio or television. Why? Because they have no interest in promoting positive positivity. That doesn't sell newspapers. What sells newspapers? What sells news? When you talk about bad news that's going on, somebody did something wrong to somebody. So therefore, when, some, when you hear of people that are doing charity things, or people go visit people in the hospitals or nursing homes and things of that nature, that's not, you, you don't see that in the newspapers. You don't see that, hear that on the news because that doesn't sell news. That's not a, the, newsworthy is the word I'm looking for. It's not newsworthy. It's just, you know, big deal. And it doesn't mean anything. Why does it not mean anything? Because the people that are involved in from giving the news, they themselves are not of that ilk that are giving, doing the kindness and the charity. Because they're busy trying to find fault in other people because they have fault. And that's what it says. The, the, the Talmud tells us that a, a blemish that a person has is the only way that he could convey that to someone else and he can call, call someone else out on that blemish because he has it if he didn't have it he wouldn't know it's a blemish so when a person has let's say a mole on their on their on their skin so and even though it's in a, in, a, in a place that's covered up all the time but they know it's there and they know they have it and, and to them it, it irks them when they have to see it so what happens when they see it in someone else it's like it's like magnified. Like, wow! Look, take a look. She's got a mole. You understand? So these are things that only come about because the person himself has it. So when a person is slandering somebody else, back to that point, when somebody is slandering somebody else, it's because they have that fault too. And rather than addressing it for themselves to correct their faults. What do they do? They embellish the story as it's someone else's problem. And when it's someone else's problem, then heh, I'm okay. 
I'm okay because nobody's nobody's talking about my mold. Nobody's talking about my problems. So it's, it's not an issue anymore. But that's why slander is such a critical thing and why it's so um, important to avoid talking any negativity about somebody because, you know, I once heard an interesting line. We know that the speed of light is is quicker than the speed of sound. Okay? That's why when you look at somebody, they look intelligent. Anybody. You look at anybody, they look intelligent until they open the mouth. The speed of of sight, of light, versus the speed of sound. And this, that's the point of slander. When a person slanders somebody, they're revealing their inner self. But they're projecting that inner self on someone else. And that's where we have problems with that. And that's why the only way we could um, address it is by showing these blemishes on the person's house. Because the first is the house. The house, everybody sees the house. And the house is is something that's dear to the person. So therefore, that's the first place it shows. Then, if the person doesn't get the hint, so then it, then the, the, the blemish, the, the leprosy goes closer to the person. But not yet to the person. It goes on the garments. The garments are external. They're not the person themselves. So God gives the person the opportunity to, to change his, his ways. And then, if all that fails, then it goes on the person. And even then, he has to go to the Kohen. Now, again, we'll go back to the, why he has to go to the Kohen. What's critical about the Kohen is because he has to humble himself. This person has to show that, look, I am a leper. I have a problem. Because till now, he was talking about someone else. And, you know, it was could have been in secrecy. Nobody could have seen, could have heard it other than the person he's talking to. And therefore, big deal. But now he has to go in public. He has to go to the Kohen. And he has to reveal his um, failure. And that's why the Torah gives that person such a harsh punishment. Because he tried to do it in secrecy. But Hashem says, and this is actually, we find this in the, in the, in the, in the ethics of our fathers, where it says that when a person um, does, um, does an iniquity in secrecy, ultimately Hashem will re- reveal it in public. And the same thing is the, the opposite. If somebody um, does greatness and kindness in secrecy, Hashem will repay him in public. So, because Hashem acts midah connected midah, which means measure for measure. Whatever you do, he does. And he does it the way he understands it. And we know that Hashem's kindness is, is broad. He has all the kindness in the world. He has more kindness than we can even conjure up. And that's why when a person does something, he does a mitzvah, he does a, 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 one of the, the commandments of the Torah, what happens is the reward is so immense because a person, what is a mitzvah? A mitzvah a person does, he's connecting with Hashem, he's connecting with the Almighty. 
So when he, when you connect with with the Almighty, now does it matter whether the Almighty is whether when let's take a, a human king or partner even. So when you're in, embracing your partner, does it matter whether the partner is wearing one garment or ten garments or twenty garments? It's your partner. You love this partner. So it doesn't really matter how many garments that person is. In other words, it doesn't matter how many inter- layers you have to get to till you get to him himself. But ultimately, you're embracing him. So let's say, just as an example, say in the wintertime, your husband comes home or your wife comes home from work. And what happens? She's still wearing the coats, her fur coats, or he's still wearing that wool coat. And you embrace him or her. Even though they're still wearing that coat, do you feel less of a love to that individual because they're wearing a garment? No. So too, when we do a mitzvah, albeit that it's taking, let's say, a willow, a willow bush, together with the palm and the and the citron and the myrtle, and shaking it together on the holiday of Sukkot. On the holiday of uh, of Tabernacle, which then is we have we have a commandment to take these four species and shake them together. So when we take these four species and shake them, what actually what we're doing is we're actually embracing the Almighty God at that moment. And does it does it really matter that I'm it manifests itself in a uh, in a palm or in a citron? Or a myrtle, or any of the, or a, uh, or a willow. No, because this is what he wants of me today. So I connect to him when he prescribes me to, in the way he prescribes me to, and then I, I, I embrace him, even though it seems kind of strange that that an Almighty God needs me to take this willow combination and embrace it but this is what he wants this is how you know every couple has their way of of creating the romance between themselves and so too our relations with 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 hashem with the, with the almighty god is of the same the same kind where the romance he described he prescribes us the, the way he wants us to have romance with him and where's that that romance addressed in the torah in the torah he tells us exactly how he wants us to embrace him and the same thing is he tells us what he discuss, is disgusting to him in the, in a form of an embracement so for example when he says i don't want human sacrifice that is a, that is an abomination to tasha so when somebody goes and does a human sacrifice what he's doing is he is not embracing but rather um, distancing himself from the almighty god and therefore any of the negative commandments are those things that are abominable to hashem those are things that hashem disgraces so we have to refrain from getting involved in those things 
And by refraining from those things, because the Torah tells me I must refrain from it, and only because the Torah says I must refrain from it, only then have I accomplished my mission in um, serving the Creator. And that's why when it comes to slander, what you're doing is you're tearing apart another person, another entity that is serving Hashem the way He knows or maybe he was wrong in how he was serving Hashem. But that's his, that's his uh, um, uh, um, calculation, that he, accounting that he's going to have to do with Almighty God. That's his account. It has nothing to do with you. And therefore, it's not my business if that person is not doing it properly, other than, other than I should try and go and help him and train him how to do it the proper way so that the next time he can do it the right way. Not go and slander him for it, but rather guide him and teach him the way that he should be acting. And then, when only then, then we fulfill the Almighty's mission that he gave us. And only then do we actually embrace Hashem the way he wants to be embraced. And through that, we connect. And that's what the word mitzvah, mitzvah, which is a commandment, but at at the at the same token, the word mitzvah means connecting. So we connect to Hashem with his mitzvahs. And as, as strange as it might sound, but that, that you know, a, person, a man puts on tefillin, for example, he connects to Hashem. Or a lady lights the Shabbos candles, and with that, he's connect, she's connecting with Hashem. How does that connect? How does that add up? But you know what? As I said, these are things that in a relationship... They, every couple has their way of of connecting, and it's and it's not for us to judge or to display or to question that kind of a, 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 race, a, a romance. And the same thing is with our mitzvahs. Our mitzvahs. He is the ultimate understander of what it means to um, serve an Almighty. Because after all, he's the Almighty and he knows exactly what he wants of, of us, his subjects. And therefore, he prescribes it all and gives us details in the, so he gives us the general, um, observation, the general commandment in the written Torah. But then in the oral Torah, he, he describes it at length and in more detail and it's all one unit. And it's not two separate um, pieces of information that are coming from two different authorities. But rather, it's sort of like when if, if you took the, the New York Times, for example, the Wall Street Journal, and you cut out all the headlines and uh, make a book with just the headlines of the, 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 the Wall Street Journal. Does this, do you don't do you understand anything about what's going on? No. Rather, you need to see the whole article to be able to get a picture of what's going on in that in that story. And similarly, the written Torah is sort of like the headlines, and the oral Torah is the rest of the story. And when we when we realize that there's more to the story than just what's written in the written in the written Torah. Because if you just read the written Torah, it does not make any sense. First of all is, we don't know how to read it because there are words 
that have vowels. And we don't know what the vowel is unless you read the oral Torah. The oral Torah tells me how to read these words, how to, what, what vowels to put to which words. And only through that can I understand what it actually says in the written Torah. So without the oral Torah, I can't understand the written Torah. And that's important to understand because the, the written Torah is nothing more than, than gibberish without any vowels, without anything. And, and, and in fact, the Hebrew language, the Hebrew language, because if, if you read it, if you read the Torah, the Torah, if you look at a Torah scroll, the Torah scroll has no vowels. And actually, without the oral Torah, the oral Torah doesn't gives me the, the vowels. But if I don't have the oral the, the the vowels, the oral Torah tells me that, for example, I'll give you an example. So we had one of the plagues. One of the plagues was Dever. Right? Dever is what? Where the animals were dying. So the word Dever is spelled Dalit, Bays, and Arash. Right? So I I pronounced it Dever kind of with like an E sound. D-E-V-E-R. Okay? Now, if I took and put... Um, a commas, which makes it an aw sound, so it will be davar. Okay, those same letters, dalad, beis, reish. If I put the different vowels, it becomes the word becomes davar, which means thing. If I put other vowels, I can make it daber, which means speak. So you see, how do I know when I read the Torah? What word is that? Is that davar? Is it daber? Is it dever? That's what I need the oral Torah to guide me. So the oral Torah is sort of like the, like the, 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 the assistant to the person reading it. And that's, that's important to understand because the same thing is with the, with the leper. Back to the leper. The leper too. Although the person himself might be able to see that he has this discoloration, but he himself may not determine himself a, a leper. He needs a calling to, to, to decipher it. And that's, uh, that's really the crux of everything in our Torah. Everything in our Torah is created in such a way that A, you need to have the guidebook or a guide or a rabbi which acts as a guide to help navigate through the words of the Torah. And that's really what we get out of this week's parsha with with this um, with the leper. And I hope this was helpful and I hope people under grasp the 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 the, the, magne- the greatness of our creator and how merciful he is and he doesn't want to hurt us in any way but rather whatever he's doing to us is to guide us and to teach us and i hope that we can all learn from it all and we'll all merit to see the ultimate with with the with the final redemption the mashiach ahead of the, the in front amen 
Thank you so much, yeah. Rabbi Zirk. And, um, you know, sure. it, it, it also reminds me of, you know, as we're counting the Omer, um, you know, just the mercy that he has and desire for us to, to be clean before him so he can be in relationship with us. And, you know, we don't always understand the nuances of counting the Omer. What, what are we doing? What's this mean? But the fact that he prescribes it to um, purify us so that we can be clean, I think, is just a demonstration of his loving kindness and mercy. Absolutely. He wants us, he wants us to come clean, pun intended. Yeah, right. And, and that's what he wants. And he gives us all the opportunities in the world. I mean, take a look. People, people do all kinds of negativity, wrong things, but yet they live and they and they're fine. Because Hashem doesn't want to punish us. Hashem wants us to learn from our past and improve our ways. Absolutely. Well, we're grateful for that. Before we close, does anyone have any questions they'd like to ask Rabbi Zirkin? Hey, this is Mark here in Baltimore. Yes, I have a question. Sometime later on in the Torah cycle, we're going to be reading about the story of Miriam getting leprosy when she somewhat slender for Brother Moshe and uh, with Aaron being present. And so we want to say a little bit about it because some people think that Hashem was unfair. Number one, because there were only three people in that whole conversation. It was just like they figured that Miriam was, who was the older uh, than the two brothers, was just... By giving Moshe advice. So, so where did Miriam go wrong? Thank you. Okay. So that I hope I, did everybody get the question? I hope so. So, so the answer is that again, we we have a concept that the higher a person is, the farther the person falls. As well, the greater a person is the more is expected of that person. And therefore, when a person is of that stature, of a Miriam, they should have, they should be um, ex- extremely careful of slander. And especially of his brother, of her brother, Moshe, which Moshe was the leader. Despite the fact that we are siblings, but nonetheless, he was the leader of the Jewish nation. He was the one that led the people out of Egypt. He was the one that led them through the desert. And he was the one, the spokesman, quote-unquote, of God when he went up to Sinai and God gave him the Torah. So for, for Miriam to slander Moshe, that was the big no And therefore, there had to be a consequence in other words, to show us, to teach us proper etiquette. That it's not enough that you're, well, he's my younger brother, he's this, he's that. That's not enough. That's not a reason to be able to um, do whatever you want. He's still the leader of the Jewish nation. And as a result, you need to respect him. Whether you agree with him or you don't agree with him, you need to respect him. And when one fails, there's a consequence.
Well, thanks again, Rabbi Zirkand. And for those of you joining us, maybe after the fact, um, what is this group about? Well, it's uh, sort of a unique group in that we're all coming from different walks of life. That there is a, a spectrum uh, of the non-Jewish person who is drawn to Torah. And <clears throat> excuse me, I think that's what is delightful about this group is that, you know, we, we are all here to study and we are in ver on various points in our path. So while I may not recognize myself as a Noahide that, you know, it, it really doesn't matter the titles. It's really about trying to seek out Hashem's wisdom. And we do that by studying Torah and the oral Torah and having a rabbi as a guide to help interpret and especially for us, it, it's because this is so uh, new, you know, into our lives, we, we kind of need that guidance, but um, it, it, it can be very frustrating. And I'm happy to talk to you, you know, at any point to, you know, try to navigate that. But all, all you have, you know, all we can do really is just uh, keep studying, keep seeking Hashem, and, you know, He's going to place those stepping stones in front of you so you'll know exactly where to go. He's good at that. Of course, of course. Welcome. And uh, Natanya is joining us from British Columbia today. And it's welcome. Well, Rabbi Zirkin, I want to thank you so much for your time. And this was a very interesting study. We have it recorded and I will post it on our Lifeline Torah group. Please join us next week um, and hope to see you all there. Okay. Thank very you so good. much. Thank you all. And have a great week. Thank you. Okay, Shavuot. Bye -bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you. Shalom. Okay. Shalom. And happy okay. birthday, Mark. Shalom. Thank you. Shalom. <coughs> Shalom.